say welcome if you are here uh, online or as a guest here in person for the very first time. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. I appreciate your presence with us. I'll let you know that there is an additional uh, fold on the bulletin that if you would be so kind to fill that out and uh, then there is an offering box in the back if you would put that in the offering box as our guest completed if you would if you're a part of our regular church family that uh, extra fold is also for you if you have a prayer request or you have uh, something you want to let us know we'd sure appreciate that and you can put that in the offering box as well I'd like you to uh, pray with me if you would as we prepare to study God's word father uh, we come to a, a text in your word that uh, is challenging, and I pray that as we try to unpack it, that your spirit would guide us and lead us. I pray that you would work powerfully in our hearts, you'd work powerfully in the hearts of our uh, uh, brothers and sisters who gather in congregations, not just here, but around the world, but in this uh, region of central Iowa, and we pray that your spirit would be working, because Lord, you know Uh, that this world is a mess and uh, we're part of that mess but I pray that you would give us grace and strength to look to you for wisdom and direction and guidance that we might live in ways that please and honor and glorify you I pray uh, that if there are any who hear uh, your word this morning who really have not fully surrendered their lives to Christ that you would work in their hearts and draw them to yourself and bring them to you and that they would make that decision to put their faith or their trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I ask that you would guide those of us who know you into a deeper understanding of your love for us and a deeper commitment to show and share the love of Christ with a lost and dying world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our grandson saw me uh, splitting some wood, and so he thought that looked like fun. And so... uh, I set some wood on the ground, and I put the, the axe in the wood, and I gave him the hammer, and he, he said, he started doing, I, I was holding it for him, guiding, kind of helping him do it, and, and he says, I can do it. He just turned four. It's a statement that almost every one of us, either we've stated it verbally or we've mentally agreed and said, yeah, I can do it. And that statement, uh, I can do it, it's a declaration of independence. And it can be a virtue, but it can also be a vice. And what determines whether it's a virtue or a vice is when our self-reliance eclipses our dependence on God, then it's a vice. When we decide that we can do it and God doesn't need to be a part of it, then we know we've, we've crossed the line. It's precisely this failure of trusting in the Lord, the Lord who had repeatedly proven himself reliable, that we witness in David's life as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27. It was this shocking, I can do it, if you will, Uh, David exhibited for us in chapter 27 and we're going to go from verse 1 through chapter 28 verse 2 this morning on the heels of David's epic demonstration of his faith in God his patience and his belief and trust that God really was the one who was at work in his life and that God would be the one who would bring Saul's demise 
and David to reign, as, as Mark articulated last week in chapter 26, on the heels of that, we see this unbecoming and uncharacteristic self-reliance of the Lord's anointed in chapter 27. It's, it's just kind of shocking, actually. And this text is completely void of any direct mention of or message from God. Okay, so it's one of those unique passages in the Bible where God doesn't speak and God's not even mentioned. Doesn't mean he's not at work. Doesn't mean that he's not there. And that's what we're going to tease out this morning. So in this passage, it's, it's the Lord's patience and his chosen servants' perverse actions that serve to instruct us. I've said before, uh, sometimes when we study the Bible, there's an example to follow, and sometimes there's an example to avoid. Well, this is the example to avoid, but in the example to avoid, we learn things that we should do in following the Lord. And so if you have your Bibles, or if you have your app on your phone or your uh, tablet or whatever, you want to reach under the seat in front of you somewhere, there should be a Bible. We're in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 27. I'm going to read the text. We're going to unpack these, uh, these three lessons these three lessons uh, that we learn from David's self-reliance, and I've kind of uh, adapted or changed the wording a little bit from, uh, from some of the, the, one of the commentaries that I read, uh, Ralph Dale Davis. And so I'm going to read the passage. Chapter 27, verse 1. Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day at the hand of Saul, and there's nothing better for me to do than to escape to the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel. And I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over he and his 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities of the, uh, in the country, that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag. That day, therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now, David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from the ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And David attacked the land and did not leave any man or woman alive. And he took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkeys and the camels and the clothing, and then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev, or some of your versions may say, the southern parts of Judah, and against the Negev, or the southern parts of the Jeralmelites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. And David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, lest they should tell about us, saying, so, David, so has David done, and so has been his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among the people, Israel. Therefore he will become my servant forever. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed, camp, their armed camps 
for war to, to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Very well, you will know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Well, first lesson that I see in the text is that uh, is to rest in our Lord's protection. Again, we're learning these lessons on the heels of David's, the opposite of what David did, okay? So it's the lesson we learn from his lack of restraint. And there's two steps in the process of rejecting God's protection or his um, security or trusting in that, uh, that amplify our need to rest in it. So we're going to see what we shouldn't do so we learn what we should do and the first one is that we we tend to evaluate our situation from a human perspective notice the text says then David which gives us the clue we're looking at the uh, we're just on the heels of the second time the second time that God had delivered Saul into David's hands but David spared him we saw it in chapter 24 and in chapter 26 and we only see this so so despite God's repeated protection despite Saul's glowing affirmation at the end of chapter 26 uh, of who David is and telling David you know this you're great please watch out for my family and take care of my family and you're 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 great despite the numerous declarations that David was going to be the king now who said that Jonathan had told him he would be king in chapter 23, verse 17. Abigail had told him he was going to be, uh, be, going to be king in chapter 25. And in chapter 24, before that, it was Saul who said, you're going to be king. In spite of all that, the Lord's chosen, uh, he, he understood all, all these things. He, he understood rightly that uh, Saul was going to kill him. He's like, whoa, wait a second. He knew All these promises, all this protection, but he also knew that Saul was out to get him. And in light of the fact that Saul was out to get him, it says, but when David heard and knew this stuff, he made a wrong conclusion. He had been given all this good information. God is protecting you. You're going to be king. Well, I know Saul's going to kill me, but then he comes to his own conclusion. Notice what the text says next. He says, um, he said to himself. See, that's the danger. We start talking to ourselves. And we exclude God from the picture. He said to himself, now I will perish. (laughs) I will perish one day at the hand of David. So when he said that, he's basically contradicting what he had declared earlier in chapter 26 about his confidence in God being in control of Saul's life. In chapter 26, in verse 10, he had said, I know the Lord, you know, Saul's either going to die by natural causes, God, Saul's going to die because of uh, his, his, uh, his enemies, or Saul's going to die because he's in battle. Saul's going to be dead. God's going to take care of Saul. But Saul's going to take, take me out? Do you see the, 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 the disconnect there? It's a disconnect between what he confidently believed God would do in Saul's life, and now he's turning around saying, now Saul's going to be in control of my life. No, not not happening, David. That's not the way it is. David's self-talk turned into sinful actions that ignored his reliance upon God, his reliance upon God's protection, his reliance upon God's promises. And, you know, that's why we have to tell ourselves what's true. 
not what we think, but what God thinks. In Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage, and most of you are aware, know what it is, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Here's the key. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Renewing of the mind. Philippians chapter 4 verse, verse 8 says, you know, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, if there's anything virtuous, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So we go from, and we see David going from, God's got Saul, he's going to take care of him, to now Saul's going to take me out. In spite of the fact that he'd had all these assurances that he was going to be the king in spite of the fact that God had protected him numerous times. And so he turned it around. And David's, so then, he, so we, we, we evaluate the situation, and when we do it in our own flesh, wrong, oftentimes. Secondly, we formulate the solution. Now David's solution had a couple of obje- objectives, objectives that are very common among us when we're unsure and we're insecure. First, we're going to escape what threatens us. Notice, he, may, he came to the conclusion, there's nothing better for me to do than to run to the, the Philistines. That's the best plan I have. Uh, now, if you're like me, it's easy to cast stones at David. <laughs> it's like, well, what are you thinking, David? Uh, and we'll get to this in a minute, but he's been down that road before. But, but none of us can really understand None of us can really understand the, the tremendous and relentless mental, emotional, and physical drain there was on David, his men, and their families. They were constantly fearing for their lives. They were constantly running, constantly hiding. No place they could call home. No place that they could ever feel completely safe or secure. There was the press of always knowing that Saul was after them. And I, I've, I'm sure I've quoted this before, but one of my favorite lines from Vince Lombardi is, Fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know, we know the right thing to do, but when we're tired, that's when we get angry. When we're tired, that's when we lose our patience. When we're tired, that's when we forget to trust in God. And I think about it, you know, single parents. There's nothing, no job harder for a single parent. They're physically exhausted most of the time. Uh, Mentally, they're weary. They're emotionally drained. And it'd really be easy in that kind of a situation to to cling on to and hold on to anybody who came along throwing them a lifeline, even if it meant compromising their convictions or their ideas or their understanding. I think about students, and we just sent a bunch, you know, they're just out to college and their kids are going back to school. And you think about that. They're going to be, if they stand for Christ, they're going to be berated, they're going to be belittled, and they're going to be bullied. And young people, they want to escape that. And they escape it usually through either compromising or some of them decide it's just not worth living. And that's the tragedy, that they take their own life. Single people, you know, they want to get married. It's like, yeah, I I don't know if you're married, you ever remember being there, but I do, you know. And it's like you're there and... You might compromise. You might say, well, I'm tired of being lonely. I'm so tired of being lonely that I'm willing to compromise my standards and take 
whatever comes along to escape the loneliness. People who live financially responsibly, you know, they scrimp and they save and they sacrifice. At some point, they may be tempted to say, you know, nuts to that. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm tired of scrimping and saving. Everybody else is, you know, not doing that. I'm, I'm going to not do that. And then they, do, they start blowing their money or they be, they're dishonest in order to gain what they think is a better standard of living. It's the pressure. Spouses, you know, you get neglected, you get berated, you get disrespected over a course of a period of time. And you say, whew, okay, gives justification in their mind that they're, they're going to they either begin, they will resent their partner or they'll just seek relief and escape and end it and departure. See, our sinful bent is this. We're going to pursue pleasure. We're going to run from pain. And so this is where David's at. This is where his boys, think about it, he took their families and households. It wasn't just these men, it was their households. They were, they were caring for their families. They had to be concerned about them. So there was this press against them. And when we've endured what we consider enough pain, and again, we consider enough pain, and it seems like God isn't coming through uh, in our time frame, then it's tempted to take matters into our own hands. And that's what I think we see in David's life. And David said, I will escape from his hand. I can do it. I can do it. We've been there before. Rewind back to chapter 21. And David, immediately after he knew that Saul was going to get him, he went to Achish, same guy, in Gath. And it was there in chapter 21 that he had impulsively gone and he desperately retreated to his sworn enemies. These Philistines are the sworn enemies. He went to Gath. This is where Goliath was from (laughs) that he had slain. It's like, it doesn't seem very, like, it seems like David's kind of losing it here. But then he had to pretend like he was a madman in order to, you know, had to, I know it's kind of gross, but, you know, he had to kind of slobber down his beard uh, to make, and froth at the mouth to make him think that he was a loony bin. And then they get rid of him, and that's how he escaped. And now he's going back. Why would he go back? I don't know. I, I think... He was really desperate. And I think he understood what, uh, there's this uh, uh, axiom that goes like this. The friend of my friend is my enemy. Or the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I'm sorry. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Achish is the enemy of Saul, so Achish becomes David's friend. You know, you maybe you haven't seen it, but the... the uh, the dictator in China, Xi, uh, there's, a, there's pictures of him and, and uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, making crepes together, standing next to each other, and they're, they're making crepes, you know. Well, why would those two guys be together making crepes? Well, they both share this common thing. They don't like the United States. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So this is where David's at. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so here they go. David and his men, uh, you know, when you think about why would they go there, well, they bring something to the table. Why would Achish welcome them in? Well, partially because I think they bring their families, so that's a little less threatening. If you just brought a bunch of soldiers in there, that'd be a little more difficult. But if you just bring your friends and your, fa- or your family, it's a little less threatening. The other thing is that uh, uh, they, they also saw that... Uh, they were going to settle down so it might be a little more permanent. And then uh, Akisha's not dumb. He sees the potential mercenary 
capabilities of David and his men because he knows they, they, they don't, they're, Saul doesn't like them, and so these guys could be useful. And so for these reasons, it seems to me that he comes in there, and he, 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 take, he, welcome, he welcomes them in. And so they're, they're welcomed, and David reasoned rightly. Interesting enough, isn't it? If I go to Achish, then Saul will quit looking for me. We'll look at verse 4. It says, now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. It worked. It worked. And sometimes our humanly devised plans are initially effective, but when it's apart from the Lord, oftentimes it ends badly. Maybe, have you ever seen this stuff in a can called Fix-A-Flat? You know? It's, uh, it's just stuff in a, in a can, and you're supposed to, you know, if your tire goes flat, you can carry it in your trunk, and, you know, and then you, you hook it up to your uh, valve stem, and you push it, you know, and it fixes your flat. Immediate, immediately fixes the flat, but it makes an, a huge mess. You can't, I mean, you can't virtually change the tire and get the tire fixed after that. It's just horrible. So it solves the problem initially and then creates a bigger problem down the road. This is what we see, you know, this is David's fix-a-flat moment. He, he's, he's, he's got it. He's, he's, he's got it fixed. But it is a nightmare. One, sol- one problem solved, but another one created. And uh, the same is true for us, folks. If we go down a path that is apart from God, we may fix the problem, but we're going to create other ones down the road. And we need to learn that we should trust in, not reject. We should, we should rely on and rest in God's protection and His security and His safety. Secondly, we don't just escape, but we isolate from what, we could, what could expose us. This is what we see in verses 5 through 7. So the, David says, has a thoughtful request. Remember the last time he was in uh, Gath? And he was there and he was around and it was Akish's counselors who said to Akish, hey, look, this dude is the one that they, they, they have this song. It says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So what do you think, how do you think you're going to earn brownie points with Saul better than coming into here and taking a few of us out? And it's in the proximity of Akish that David was in trouble, so he's kind of a little smarter. He's like, I have a better plan. This plan is, just why don't you just give us a city outside, away, and then we will, uh, you know, for them, selfishly, they'd have normalcy. They could actually live in a house. They'll be safe from Saul, and they would have some uh, stability in their lives. And so Ziklag, which is the name of the town, is at the edge of the Philistine territory. And it provided an outpost for David and his boys to do their work. It kept them secure from Saul, who wouldn't go there, and it kept them outside the scrutiny of Achish. It was a win-win-win. They, they, they thought, this is great. So I want you to see, I think we have a map of uh, where this is at. Uh, you might not be able to see it, but if you see Ziklag, you see Gath on the left, and then Ziklag is down below it, okay? So it's at the southern regions of the Philistine territory, but it's still in Judah. And so, in desperation, uh, you know, we are not so much different from him. We devise our self-protective plans, and we want to be outside of the purview of those who might stop us from doing our stupid stuff. You know, 
We, we kind of say, I don't want to be under their, their scrutiny. We escape the scrutiny, and I'm going to make a blanket statement here. It's not entirely true, so don't crucify me for it. But quite often, we seek to escape the purview of others that might stop our stupid stuff when it comes to relationships and when it comes to finances. In those two areas, we kind of tend to really gravitate towards doing our own thing rather than what God wants us to do, okay? I mean, I remember not too many years ago, um, there was an investment opportunity, and I said, yeah, you know, I didn't really consult too many people because I kind of thought, no, it's kind of, I just kind of wanted to do it on my own, you know, I can do it. I'm like my grandson, I can do it. And so I did this, and, you know, I got just exactly what I deserved. Uh, it just fizzled, you know. But I didn't want anybody else to tell me it was a stupid decision. I just wanted, because if it was a success, then guess what? I could, you know, walk around with my chest in the air and my nose in the air and drown when it rains. Because I was like, hmm, I, I, but no, God has a way of keeping us in check. And he kept me humble. It's this thing. So David's bad example here reveals the value of trusting in God, in his protection, in his safety, in his wisdom, and not our own. For, trust Him for our security. Trust Him for our sustenance. There's a couple of passages of Scripture I want to point out to you that I think affirm this, not the only ones by any means. But in Psalm chapter 20, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says this, Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. David is the Lord's anointed. And He will answer. Now, we are not the Lord's anointed, right? But we are His chosen people. We are His chosen race, if you will, First Peter chapter 2. Okay? So he will answer him from his holy heaven with the with his saving strength of his right hand. Some praise their chariots and some praise their horses, but we praise the name of the Lord our God. That's Psalm 26. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, and I'm going to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can write it down. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4 are excellent passage that reveals the same thing. Here the psalmist says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If you dwell in the shelter of it, you're safe. In the shadow of the Almighty, you've got protection from the sun. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, that is, his wings. And under his wings you'll, you'll, you'll seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Do you believe that? We knew intellectually. But when push comes to shove, we're, we're, we have to apply it personally. You can trust the Lord. It's interesting, this morning in our first service, we were singing these songs about leaning on the everlasting arms and trusting in the name of, of the Lord. And He is the one that we can trust. It's the same message. Back in, the Lord is our refuge. And David didn't learn it. Second, second lesson is rely on the Lord's, our Lord's wisdom. And the three aspects of deception highlight the need for God's wisdom. Okay? There's three aspects of deception that highlight the need for the practice of our deception. I want you to read with me again verses 8 through 10. Now David and his men went up and raided the 
Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times as you go from Shur even as far as the land of Egypt. And David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. And then he returned and came to Achish. And now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, and he tells him where he's made this raid against the Negev of the Judah, against the Negev of the Geralmelites, the Negev of the Kenites. Okay, so what's going on there? Well, first of all, uh, from their outpost in Ziklag, okay, remember they're at the southern part, their outpost in Ziklag, David and his men made these raids, and they made raids against long-standing enemies of Israel. Okay, so when it says the, 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 the Gershites, the Jeshurites, and the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, it's like, it's got a mouthful, uh, these are long-standing enemies of Israel, okay? And you might even remember the Amalekites, because back in chapter 15, it was Saul who was told to go into Amalekites and completely, dis- and he didn't do it, Right? And so now David is going back into these areas which Saul didn't purge before. And the Amalekites were the people, if we learned in chapter 15, who had been hostile towards God's people even when they left Egypt back in Exodus chapter uh, 17. Okay? So these were long-standing enemies. So David from Ziklag goes out and makes these raids against Israel's enemies. Now, you have to uh, stay with me here. Okay, So he's then he comes back, okay, and this is these enemies, and they were inhabitants of the land as you go from Shur to Egypt. I think we have another, I think I tried to put another map up here. Okay, you won't be able to see it, but see what the red, the red thing is? Uh, if you go from, uh, from your right to left, it goes down south of Judah and towards Egypt, okay, so all the way to Egypt. So this is a whole region of the wilderness of Shur, so it's, it's a generalized area, but it's south and west of, of Judah, all right? So that's where they're going. And they went there. So when they came back, so then it says he came back. They made raids and they came back. And they came back to Achish. And so to, you know, and they had all these plunder. And what did they do with the plunder? 10% for the big guy. So Achish got his portion, okay? Achish got some of it because he was giving some of it to to him to, to please him, all right? And then he was pleasing Achish, but he was presenting something else. He was presenting his exploits as an attack on his own people. So he was attacking the enemies, but he was presenting it as if he was attacking his own people. Where have you been, Achish says. Oh, we made a raid against the Negev of Judah. We made a raid against the Negev of the Jeromelites. Against the Kenites, Moses' uh, uh, father-in-law was a Kenite. So these are people who were descendants of Judah or they were aligned with Judah. So he's doing the old uh, double agent action. Attacking his enemies, winning favor with God's people, but telling Achish, I'm attacking the lands of Judah and their people. So Achish is like, oh, he's on my side. And David is working both sides, playing both sides against the middle, if, as he can do it. And his deception as a means of self-protection is, you know, it's, it's, it's um, one of, but it's not the only way that we can uh, practice self-reliance, right? There's, it's, it's, it manifests itself. We present one thing while we're doing another. 
there was a, a young man in the youth group that our kids were growing up in. And everybody in youth group know that that, knew that, that, that that kid was a poser. Okay. Uh, that, that kid came to youth group, said all the Jesus talk, you know, said the right answers, gave all the right answers, acted really nice, was polite and kind at church. But when that person wasn't at church, they were a complete corrupt person. And so they were playing both sides against the middle. And we can be tempted to do that as well. You know, greedy people. Greedy people will act like they're your friend, right? In order to get access to your pocketbook. It's just the way the sinful, our sinful nature works. So the question is, do we rely on our wisdom? You know, David, that was David's plan. That was his wisdom. I'm going to raid here and pretend here. Do we rely on our wisdom? And does that result in deception? That we're deceiving other people. Do we act one way at church? But then when we're not at church, we're completely a different person. And then we're not different than David. That's the, the practice of this deception was to pretend one thing and be another. There is a, pry, a, a, a price of our deception. It says twice in the text, in chapter 27, verse 9, in chapter 27, verse 11, that David did not leave a man or a woman alive. Now, if you're reading through the text, there's no, back in chapter 15, there was a mandate from Saul, from God to Saul to take care of the Amalekites. Not here. By annihilating every one of his true enemies, okay, that's what he was doing, while proclaiming to Achish that he was attacking his fellow Israelites, David prevented any witnesses from exposing his plan. Because they would, they would come back and they would say, well, he's done this all of the time he's been in, uh, among the Philistines. So he was getting rid of all the evidence. Murdering people. Slaughtering people. Ruthlessly doing so. And he perpetuated the lie. That he was an ally of Achish and he was an adversary of Israel. It served his purpose. You see the lengths to which we as fallen human beings are willing to go in order to work out our plan. That's apart from God and not trusting. It's, there's no... Uh, David's unsanctioned brutality served his own selfish purpose and sullied his reputation. Remember? Why was he chosen to be king? He's a man after God's own heart. Not a good picture. There's no dressing up, you know, what he did. You, you, just, you can try to put lipstick on a pig, on this pig, but it, it's not very pretty. David went to horrific lengths to serve his own purpose. And we are just as capable. It's a sober reminder of how devastating our self-reliance can be and how our own human wisdom can, can take control. And it happens. People, sometimes we lose our finances. We, 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 we we're willing to lose that. We put other people at risk. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's, uh, it, it's them when we try to do it our own self. Um, you can, what, 
what the damage that's left in the wake of our own selfish self-reliance is heavy sometimes. I had a friend, friend of ours, he lost somewhere around six figures uh, through a, a, a scammed investment. It's just devastating. But somebody was working their plan, right? Didn't care who was, who, who was in the wake of it, but he and his family were in the wake of that uh, devastation. And we have to be careful not to go that way, okay? And then we see the, the prize. There was a prize here. Look at verse 12. It's like, wow, how has this happened? But Keish is going, whew, this is working. David's, I mean, David's plan is working out really well. Because the quiche is like, that guy, he's, the Israelites are not going to like him, but I like him. Now, that's my paraphrase of it, right? Akish was convinced of David's loyalty to him and his hostility towards Israel. When the exact opposite was true. He was deceiving. But we're going to see, in just a moment, this is, this is a fix-a-flat, because uh, it, it's going it's to turn south. It's a problem. Akish likes David. But it's going to be a problem for David. And I would like to say this. Our folly will find us out. It may work for a time, but it will find us out. And the other thing is that not every situation is clear cut. You know, David, you have to empathize with David. You don't have to. I think we should empathize empathize with him. It was a tough situation. People come into my office and they have counseling situations. And you talk to them and you go, man, my heart just goes out to them because I... It would be horrible to live in your shoes right now. That's what I'm thinking. I don't really tell them that, but it's like, this would be horrible to live in your shoes right now because the pain, the anguish, the loneliness, the discouragement, the frustration, the financial press, uh, I, you know, but it's not enough. It's, it should never be enough to bail on God. It should never be enough to cast God's word out the window, God's wisdom out the window. His wisdom is, is what's best for us. And there's no, no guarantee. Look, the Bible doesn't address every one of your and my particular situations. You know, like, okay, this is, the, this is the game plan. If this happens to you, this is what you do. But God is a good and gracious God, and He gives us His wisdom through His Word. He gives us His wisdom through His people. He gives us His wisdom through His Spirit. Uh, one of my favorite passages uh, is, is Isaiah, or um, Psalm, Psalm 86, verses 11 through 3. You see it on the screen. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, for your loving kindness is, uh, and your name forever. For your loving kindness is good towards me. And you have saved my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now, teach me your way, O Lord. Is that what you want? That's what I want. What God wants for us is to teach us His way. And I will walk in your truth. Not my truth, your truth. Remember David said to himself, (laughs) we need to not talk to ourselves unless we're talking to ourselves informed by God's word. And then a passage again that came out in the first service this morning was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths known. There's another passage in Proverbs, uh, and it's a section you should look up in, in Proverbs chapter uh, 16. Uh, it says this, The plans of the heart belong to a person, but the pa- answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Oh, I need to look to God in his wisdom and not my own. And that's what God would want us to do. See, expediency uh, is not, not, not always the best thing. Uh, just doing what works, works fast is not always good. So God wants us to rely, to rest in his protection. He wants us to rely on his wisdom. And finally, the, the, the text here, I think, teaches us to rejoice in, in our Lord's compassion. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28. Okay, And we're doing this, okay, uh, next week we're going to get into this a little bit. But we could skip from chapter 28, verse 2, to chapter 30, verse 1. Or, or 29, I'm sorry, 29, okay. Chapter 28 is what takes place in the meantime. So 28 is a sandwich between chapter uh, 28, 3, through the end of the chapter, is a sandwich between 28, 2, and 29, 1. We pick up the story in 29.1 with the Philistines going out to war. Okay? But what's the deal? After 16 months of convincing Achish uh, that David was loyal, the king of Gath honored him and said, Hey, you boys are going out to war with us. I'm going to tap into your, your, your loyalty to me and your hatred for Israel, uh, which you know, is not true. And uh, we're, we're, you're going to go out to war with us. And it's kind of... Uh, kind of a uh, Proverbs 14, 12 situation. <laughs> the mind of man plans his way, uh, but the Lord directs his steps? No, this is Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. <laughs> oh, David. So you see, David's fix a flat is coming back. What's he supposed to do? He's really loyal to Israel. And now... Akish says, come out with us and fight the Israelites. So notice what he says in verse 1. Know assuredly, uh, Akish says, know assuredly that you will go out before us, you and your men. And David said in verse 2 to Akish, very well, you shall know what your servant will do. Intentionally vague. Because I think... He's trembling in his boots. He's, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pretending a macho man. You'll know what we can do. Yeah, you'll know what we can do. And that backfired him as well because Akish goes, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to make you my bodyguard for life. And now David is really between a rock and a hard place. Because think about this. If he goes out to battle with Akish, then he just redo, ruins all credibility he has with the people of Israel that he's been gaining by attacking their enemies. You know, the Amalekites, the Gerzites, and the uh, Gir Girishites. I didn't even say that right. One of the G people, okay? Yeah, the, the Jeshurites, okay? He, he, he's he's going to ruin all credibility he has with them. And he's going to be facing Saul and his army head on. The guy he's been trying to escape from, now he's got to face him head on. And if he doesn't, go out to war, or he, he proves fickle <laughs> against Achish, well, they're just off him right there. I mean, Achish is taking a whole military battle with him, and it's like, you're, you're toast. So either way, he loses big time. And it's, it's a mess. And David was reaping the fruit of his self-reliance, I think, all right? See, rejecting God's protection and relying on our own wisdom to achieve relief, whatever the trouble we face, you know, whatever troubles our heart, 
whatever terrorizes our mind, I'm just, I'm, and, and, and whatever takes our strength, it robs us. Here's the, I think. When I try to do it my way, it robs me of all that God wants to do in me and through me if I did it his way. See, I don't understand why God brings us, the exact thing of why God brings us through the struggles and trials and challenges that he does. But I do know this, that in all of it, he's trying to conform us to the image of Christ. And when we short circuit that, we rob ourselves of what God is trying to do in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the struggle. You know, our pursuit of relief hamstrings our righteousness. God wants us to become holy and not, not just be happy. You see, David's virtues, uh, they've been hammered out. It's, this is what's kind of discouraging, right? He's, he's been hammering out these virtues all this time, and they've been honed in chapters 24 through 26. It's like, yeah, I'm trusting God here in chapter 24. And in chapter 25, I'm going to take Nabal, and I'm going to get my pound of flesh, I'm going to get my revenge. And then Abigail comes and says, chill out, dude, you, you, you're going to be king. Just wait it out. And then God takes out Nabal. David comes along in chapter 26, and he's the champion, you know. He has a chance to take out Saul, and he doesn't do, take out Saul because God's going to take out Saul and get to chapter 27. He's like, whoa, Saul's going to take me out where'd that come from and what do we do with it David wasn't a paragon of virtue in every situation that he was in but neither are we he was the Lord's anointed we're not the Lord's anointed in the same way he is but we are God's chosen race and I think there's an encouragement here to me that God can, can and does use frail and faulty and fickle people to accomplish his purposes. And he doesn't always give us what we deserve. David's in a spot right now, and we're going to find out if you stick with us in the next few chapters, how God works it out. God is good. God wants us to, to rejoice, to know that he is compassionate, to redeem us from our lostness, to redeem us into his family as his children, and he's faithful and compassionate to refine us as his children. And so what do we do with this? First, here we do, trust in our Lord's protection, all right? And his protection from condemnation, from eternal condemnation. Trust in him, that trust in what he did through his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross as the payment for the sin that you and I deserve to pay for. If we would turn from our sins, admit our sins, admit we are sinners, and confess and repent of our sin and trust in Christ, we can be redeemed from condemnation and trust Him for His protection in our situations now. And I love the psalmist, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I trust, my shield, the, the horn of my salvation and my refuge. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from my enemies. In Psalm 18, verses 1, and, 1 through 4, we, 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 we can trust in his protection. Secondly, we turn to our God for his wisdom. His wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You all know it. 
And then we thank our Lord for his compassion. There's a passage I read of all places uh, recently in Lamentations. And uh, I would like to leave it with you as the... Um, as a, with this point, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. I'll get there. Well, I won't get there. Lamentations 3.25. Okay, I'm not going to get there. I've got to wrap this up. Okay. But it's those who wait on the Lord, he, he will take care of those who wait on him, those who trust in him. Are you willing to wait on him? That's the point. We wait on him, those who fear him, those who wait on him, those are the ones that he sees. Those are the ones he speaks to. Those are the ones he cares about. You see, when we, we take this bread and we take this cup, what we're doing is we're remembering what, what Christ did on the cross, the maximum, absolute, guaranteed demonstration of his goodness and of his compassion that he sacrificed God did his son so that we could be his children and so if you're here this morning and you can uh, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior my invitation to you is to take a moment or two to search your heart and to say Lord am I uh, am I trusting in your protection am I relying on your wisdom am I thankful for your compassion Confess any known sin and then take these elements. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to turn from your sin and trust Him today. Then take these elements as a celebration of your union with Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your patience with me. And I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And I ask now that you would work powerfully, Lord, in my heart, in each of our hearts. That we would learn from David's mistakes to trust you, rely on your wisdom, and rejoice in your compassion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.